But ultimately for myself, I realized like that's what was holding me back, right? It wasn't uh, a lack of belief in myself, right? Or my abilities, it was benefits, you know? Yeah. What I'm being told yeah. that I need, right? In order to, to survive. Right. What's up, dude? Howard. Is it better like this? I feel like I should almost hold it. Whatever you're doing, it's working. You look okay. great. What's up, <laughs> Thanks, dude? man. You too. Not much, dude. My friend Chance. Dude, I feel like... Um, I don't know. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen you. Dude, it's been, it's been a minute. Because you guys moved when? We uh, moved to North Carolina in March. Dang. So... That's yeah, crazy. And yeah, before that, I probably hadn't seen you for probably at least just a little bit. Yeah. Well, glad we stay connected and ever, you know, an ever increasing amount, I feel like. Right. So just trying to <laughs> totally get you closer and closer to my, my life. Now we're in group texts together. So that's just a big step forward. Right. That's um, awesome. Well, cool, dude. Let's just have a fun conversation and, uh, record it and see what happens. So sounds good, man. I'll take, I'll take your editing skills to make this thing look good. Yeah. That's, it's mainly an editing game, you know? (laughs) Um, okay. So chance Howard, uh, we have a good backstory, I guess, of how you and I met, but also how you met your wife. Cause it was totally. So totally give me the elevator version of that story. Yeah, so on the mission, right? Just being a missionary, and uh, we get a call out of the blue for these guys that want to play basketball at the church, and it's it's you and Benson. Meet you guys there to open it up, and you guys play some basketball, and then we start coming over. Yep, exactly. And then we start coming over. Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, all places. And yeah, we start coming over on Sundays, hanging out. You know, it's you, Benson, a bunch of other guys selling. uh, I think it was Vivint, right at the time, security. I think we were actually selling for a for a smaller dealer called Amp. <laughs> okay. We were selling Guardian. Nice, but yeah, I mean, you guys were just you know a bunch of awesome guys, like you know, living the gospel and as a missionary, right? Like seeing people post mission was cool, you know, just to kind of see what that looks like, and and it was just awesome. And, and I think I think at one point somebody threw it out there, like, hey, you guys should sell, you know, after the mission. But I I wasn't thinking about it. Honestly, my companion at the time, uh, Zach St. Martin, he was the one that kind of looped to me and said, Hey, let's go sell, you know, with, with Alex and Benson. And, uh, and so, yeah, we did. Right. So we're, we're there in uh, Chicago, Illinois selling and yeah. the first Sunday. So 2016. Uh, 20, no, dude, this is like 2014. Well, 2014 is when we met. Right. Right. Yeah, that's but when then, I came home from my mission, though. No, that first summer. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So 2014 is when we were selling. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, in there in Illinois, okay. selling. And uh, the first Sunday at church, there's a girl giving a talk, says she's from Mesa, Arizona, and, and then the rest is history. Yeah. Ends up being that's my right. wife. So, worked out good. That's cool, man. How long have you been married now? Uh, it'll be going on seven. Seven years. We just hit right. 10 years. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> oh, that's crazy. A decade of marriage. You guys will be there right, get in a blink. Not too far behind, but you guys got you guys got like 10 kids though too. So Yeah, we're just collecting them, man. 
(laughs) Got to collect them all. Right. Um, Exactly. Well, so, and you live in Queen Creek now? Yep. Queen Creek, Arizona. Queen Creek, Arizona. So you're just, you're a good man chance and you're a smart man. You're, you're a lot of things in my opinion. Um, one of the things I'm most interested in talking about though with you is like, you just made a very significant shift in the trajectory of your career and your life. Like totally. two years ago, three years ago, where was this? Yeah. Pivot? Yeah. November Explain what you were 19- doing before and then mm-hmm. what you're doing now. And then I want to kind of ask you some questions about that. Totally. So before I was working at a credit union, Arizona federal credit union, uh, loan officer doing, you know, car loans, home equity loans, second mortgages, credit card, right. Just kind of your, your typical loan stuff for most people. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just abruptly, like, it was crazy. I mean, I still remember like vividly seven o'clock at night, I'm sitting in my office at work and it just hit me like a train that like, I need to do something different. And I've been feeling it for months. And, and we've probably talked a couple of times about making the switch, you know, doing something outside of working for a big company. Um, but, but that night, it, it just hit me. And I reached out to, uh, to a friend of mine that I knew was doing mortgages, talked to him, realized, yeah, that's what I want to do, but that's not the route. He was working for Chase Bank, large company. Um, and I, you know, I've been doing something similar. And, and I didn't want to work for a big company, right? I didn't want to be tied down. I wanted, you know, the more flexibility, the more entrepreneur route. Um, and in the mortgage world, the only other option for that's a mortgage broker, right? You go essentially on your own, right? You become, you know, the, the place, right? For mortgages instead of, instead of your bank or instead of your company. Um, but in order to do that, I had to leave everything, you know, benefits, security, stability, right? I mean, you had, you had to leave all of that to, to go to the mortgage broker side because there is, there is nothing there, right? It, you, you kind of create it from nothing. And yeah, yeah so, so we made that switch January 20. Um, I remember a conversation we had where you were thinking about talking about this, but as I recall, like one of the greatest pieces of friction to doing it was the benefits. Like you talked a lot about the benefits. Totally. And to me, it was like a curious thought because I was like, the benefits, like what are these benefits? You know, just because, you know, we're, we, we all have different conditioning and it's like my conditioning had been that I'd never had these benefits, right? I'd always been on right. the side of the, the sales self-employed business owner side. And so, um, you know, I remember that really, it might've been that conversation where it first occurred to me that, huh, benefits, that word and what it means, it probably keeps a lot of people in the seat they're in. Like it totally. has like, I, emotional attachment powers. <laughs> I think you said, I, it might've been on that call, but I, I mean, I just remember you at one point telling me like benefits is a crutch. And I remember thinking like, this dude's crazy. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like I have a 401k, like I have, health insurance, you know, mm-hmm. like I have mm-hmm. PTO, right? Like that's not a crutch, but it, it, but looking back on it, it's a thousand percent a crutch. Now that doesn't, that's not to say, right. People shouldn't work for companies and have benefits. Of course they should, right. It's not for everybody, but ultimately for myself, I realized like that's what was holding me back, right. It wasn't mm-hmm. uh, a lack of belief in myself, right. Or my abilities. It was benefits, you know, yeah. what I'm being told. Yeah that I need right in order to, to survive. 
Right. Yeah. And when you, when you actually take a step back and try to quantify, okay, how much would it cost for me to pay for my own insurance plan or get on a health share, you know, like, right. uh, and you, and you put the number down on paper and then you ask yourself like, okay, does this new thing I want to go do, like, does this path clearly get me more money than this, the cost of, you know, these benefits or like, and you know, if you do that, usually it's like, yeah, definitely right. I can go make you know, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars more per month. That's what these right. benefits are worth. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, you're an example of doing something that a lot of people want to do and think about doing, and either they don't have the idea or they don't have the guts. It's probably some combination of the two, right. you know, so you got the idea and you eventually got the guts, you know, took you a little bit, but eventually, you totally. know, you're like, okay, I'm going to swing the bat on this idea and just do it. Totally. And so, and I, I think the formula too, like if you're in sales, right? Like you, you realize like you're selling, right? Like you are the person that is creating those transactions, right? You're the one creating the value for the clients, the customers, Right. Sometimes there's products involved right, that help with it, but at the end of the day, it's you, right? And a lot of these companies, well, they, they don't pitch it as that. They pitch it as it's them, right? Or it's their products or it's their services. And at the end of the day, I, I think what it truly comes down to is a belief in self being greater than a belief in the company. Mm. And at the end of the day, hopefully, right? Like we all believe in ourselves and our ability more than we believe in the company, the organization, you know, that, that we work for. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said, you know, um, you know, on that note, I think that there is some inner angst that exists among a lot of guys that are our age or in our generation that are working for a big company. Um, and yet they feel like this entrepreneurial spirit that kind of has them feeling a little bit like, I don't know, they have a little bit of a grudge towards the job they have because they feel like totally. maybe it's not in alignment um, with this entrepreneurial side of them. And rather than, and you touched on this, rather than just proclaiming, hey, everybody should just cut ties with an employer in any sense, go out on your own. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't preach that from the housetops. I don't think you would either. Right. <laughs> I do want to preach from the housetop, so to speak, you know, freedom and alignment with your true self, figuring out what you truly want, what you're truly capable of, go live an aligned life with that, which may very well include getting rid of your job. But what right. I would say is that um, a lot of times what people are seeking actually can just come by recontextualizing where they already are. So, you know, I had a consulting client I was working with who was just like, man, I'm, he was in sales, but he was working underneath the structure of, you know, a company. And he's like, I just feel like I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, like maybe I shouldn't be working for these guys and making them money um, and, and be building my own dream. And what was interesting is there was this recontextualization that took place, which was, hey, consider that you're already on your own. You already have a business. I mean, and, and legitimately he did have an LLC, has a business. And that you are paying this company to do a list of services for you. And that was a novel idea to him. Like, oh, yeah, that is one way to look at it. I was like, yeah, 
you could absorb all of the systems that they do, or you could outsource it. So maybe you already have business, you're outsourcing it because you're buying efficiency. And so for him, you know, he ended up liking that enough to where, oh, okay, I'm not living out of alignment. I can be an entrepreneur within a framework of an organization that takes a lot of these things that you don't have energy for, you don't like, you don't want to do, uh, you know, off of your plate. So there's, there's a place for people, I think, to access that autonomy and that feeling of they are their own thing and be grateful for the systems that are wrapped around them. Because that can be, you know, some of the more successful people I know that are our age, they have created their wealth inside of a pretty structured, you know, sales organization, for example, where they aren't, you know, the, you know, like, um, you know, classic entrepreneur name on the name on the building. Like this is 100% my thing, but they're like an intrapreneur, you know, like leveraging with intelligence, the systems that exist and then just crushing it. So it's just anyway, but just a thought about that. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree completely. I just, I don't, I don't think in, in, I think society in a whole is looked as like entrepreneurs is like, you got to create the company, right? Or like, you got to be the man that's mm-hmm. like running the show. But I think down deep down, fundamentally principle wise, right. It's like, it's way more, way more deep than that. Mm-hmm. You can work for a very large company, right. And still, I would say be an entrepreneur because if at the end of the day, you're creating the business, right. You're creating the friction, you're creating the profits, right. You're creating all of that. I, I think deep down that could be an entrepreneur. And it's not always going to work for people to have their name on the side of the building. Yep. It's a lot yep. of stress, a lot of, a lot of time away from family and sometimes it's not worth it, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Right. I think, um, you know, entrepreneur, if we're talking about that word, there's a lot of definitions for it, but one of my favorite is that it's, um, it's an explorer. So an explorer and an adventurer. Yeah. So it's more about an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, someone can have an entrepreneurial spirit that's something that's worth inspiring or waking up in everybody, right? And if they're going to, you know, go encapsulate all the other definitions of it as well and truly, you know, cut ties with their job and be, you know, that element of an entrepreneur as well, then, you know, great. If that aligns with what they want. I think what I'm most interested in, and you exemplify this a lot, so that's why I love your story, but is I'm just interested in people identifying interference in their life or friction in their life, Mm -hmm. things that hold them back from like a quantum leap, you know? Totally. And for you, you know, that was your job at the bank with its benefits. I mean, it was just a, a block. So what happened next? I mean, you, you made the jump. How quickly did you fall into, uh, or I should say, how quickly did you create success in the new vehicle? And, and what does your life look like now compared to just a few years ago? Yeah. So essentially, you know, had that feeling, had that thought in November, um, made all the steps. And by the start of the new year, by January 13th, I was done at the bank, starting the new gig. Um, and, and with a lot of fear, right. A lot of anxiety, a lot of stress of like, I'm leaving everything. I had no leads. I didn't have lead gen. I didn't have referrals. You know, I didn't have past clients I could take, right. I mean, everything was property, the bank, right. And, And myself was, that's it. Um, but the success, right. The success actually came the very last day of work at the bank. I got two calls that day from two friends, just my neighborhood that were like, Hey, I know you'd mentioned at church that you were doing this thing. Like, is it too early to start it with you? And before I'd even left the bank, I was like, 
this is it. Like meaning they wanted you to help them get a loan. Get a mortgage. Totally. They wanted me to help you. They wanted me to help them get uh, essentially both of them wanted to refinance their house, right? And so within those two small transactions at the very beginning, before I even left my job, like I knew, like that was my confirmation. Like this was what I needed to do. Um, I, I would say the snowball really didn't start rolling until about March. COVID hit, brought mortgage rates down really low. And then everything just, the rocket took off from there. Um, by summer of 20, so my first, you know, six months, six months in, I, I had realized Financially, I had hit the goal that I had set for myself in that first year. Mm-hmm. Which and, is and then from, yeah, so what I told myself was I wanted to make 150000 I wanted to do about 50 transactions. It put me at about 150000 And would, um, that have been, would that have been a lot more than you had ever made before? Totally. Totally. At the bank, I was doing about 70000 Um, You throw in benefits and stuff, right? And maybe maybe that puts me right at around, you know, almost a hundred or so between all the benefits, right? In that package. So yeah, this, this would have been a lot more, but I, I wanted to make it worth it. Right. Like I wanted to make, you know, the jump financially be a lot more, not just a little bit more. I, I thought if I'm going to do this. I'm swinging, swinging for the fences, right? Like I'm going for the moon here. Like there's not, I'm going to end up in the atmosphere or just barely outside of earth. Like we're doing this, we're going all the way. And, and yeah, by summer we'd hit that, you know? And so that was, uh, that was a feeling of immense gratitude, right. For the opportunity that I was placed. Um, also immense, like confidence in myself that I realized like I could do something. I like, I set a goal and like, I, I got that goal and I got that goal well before I wanted to, but most importantly, like that I had the mindset that like, I could go do that. And for me, I think that was probably the final piece I needed to like, really be sure like this is what i'm going to do for the next 20 30 40 years you know that's awesome man so when you hit your 12 month goal six months in what do you do i mean did you have a reassessment right there and say okay now what's the goal i did yeah no i totally did um in the craziest way i had had kind of like a like a workload cap you could say uh, just based on staffing and and you know, the, the support staff that we had here, um, between myself and, and, uh, the broker that I was working for, there was just two of us and we didn't have, you know, all the support staff to be doing a, a ton and ton of business. Right. Um, but I'd hit that goal and I realized like the, this is not enough, right? Like I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to slow down. Um, so what I decided to do was I started to start actually processing my own loans instead of having a processor, you know, work them. I got a lot more involved in my own loans, my own files. And from there, I actually doubled my work. So the last so by six taking a on year, a process that was going to someone else, it sounds counterintuitive. It totally is. <laughs> it totally is. Now, long term, this would not make sense at all, right? Uh, this would be backwards business thinking. But in the time and in the moment, I realized if I wanted to achieve, achieve more and I wanted to earn more, wanted to do more business, it was either hire out and train or take it all inside you know, internal essentially through myself, right? Learn the you process get it done myself. faster? Were you saying like, I want to just get, uh, you want to totally. aggressively get through these. And so rather than relying on this person and trying to just totally. tell them to go faster, you're like, let me do this. Yep, exactly. Right. And so I, essentially I took that workload on myself. Now I, I think as a business owner at times that makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, like I had all the knowledge for all aspects of the process as opposed to like, specifically in mortgages as an originator, right? Like you do the selling and then you kind of pass it off to somebody else and they do, Mm -hmm. 
you know, the workload, right. They process it. They, uh, they maintain, you know, kind of the whole start to finish, but this allowed me to run it from start to finish. Um, I also realized another thing, like if you want something done the best way, sometimes you got to do it yourself. And, and so that allowed me to really start to hone in on exactly, you know, fine tuning my processes and my offering, my value building for my clients. And we're of the two X from there from summer, essentially through the end of the year. Wow. It's awesome, man. Mostly is your most your business refinances? It was. Yeah, it was. I mean, last year just in the industry as a whole, because rates, you know, were just so low that, that I would say last year I was probably eighty to ninety percent refinances. Um, yeah. which long term's not, you know, not really what you want it to be. Um, because it does cycle, right? There's years where rates are five percent, it doesn't make sense to refinance. Mm. Um, but the other thing I realized though, was last year I had a client acquisition mindset and that was something that somebody had told me that they'd be willing to essentially acquire clients for free. not make any money, just, uh, just acquire the relationships, acquire the friendships. And I thought that's a little interesting. It's kind of backwards. Like part of my job is to earn money for my family to provide a living. Like I want to make sure I get paid. Um, but by having that similar mindset of like, I will, I want to acquire as many clients, right? I want to interact with and help as many people as I can. I was able to grow my book of business, my network, probably last year and what I would have taken probably four or five years to do. So what does that look like in a loan space? I mean, are you telling people like, you know, because isn't the commission structure kind of built in? It is. It's built in. And essentially as a broker, we get paid from the lender we send it to. So at the end of the day, I was still making money, right? I was, I was still earning income. Um, but if I had to, if I had to lower kind of my commission to make it a better deal for the client, right. Mm. Um, in order to win the deal, right. If there was, you know, a competing bank or a competing offer that I had to try to, to try to beat, I would have to lower my commission. Right? And so I was willing to do that. And, and truthfully, mm. I didn't have to do it many times though, but the mindset of being willing to, I think was was also what allowed me to realize like that's cool. If I want to have the growth that I need to, right? I need to be willing to do things that that maybe others aren't. Yeah, because I mean, is it accurate to say like your? I would imagine your goal in that space is just you want to be people's guy. Like you just want to yep. be like someone's like, oh, I'm gonna refinance. I have a guy. Like if you, totally. if you can be the guy, then that's that's like that's yeah, it, right? and you know. What's interesting is that I didn't know that at first, right? I didn't have these kind of thoughts until I'm doing it. And what I've realized uh, through today is that when I look at friends, family, Facebook acquaintances, right? It's exactly what you said. I want to be the guy, right? Like when you think of a house or a mortgage, you're thinking of chance, mm-hmm. right? You're not thinking of Quicken Loans or Chase Bank. Mm-hmm. And so I, what I had to do is I had to interact with people in such a way that that's what they associated with, right? Create a referable experience that they refer their friends and family to me because when they think about their own transaction or their house, they're thinking to me. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. That's a little nugget for sure for people to consider, you know, like in their niche or their industry, what does it look like to build the kind of dominance where you are the guy, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's there's the concept of being a category king. I've heard Russell Brunson talk about be the category king, you know, and uh, everyone can be the category king. They might just need to redefine what the category is, you know, like <laughs> totally. that's why niching down is so 
such a relevant thing it's because yeah. you know, if you want to be the category king for Americans that get mortgages, they need to think chance. Okay. That's a, that's a very big, big, big target. Right. It takes a lot of time, you know, not impossible, but, but I think a more intelligent target is to realize, okay, your market, like your avatar, the, the person that you love doing business for in, you know, become the guy for all of them. Right. Like that's a very, uh, achievable and intelligent goal. I think like, I, I don't I think know. It's do you, scalable who is too. Your, yeah. Well, and I'm curious to know who is your target market? Do you have a demographic that you yeah. enjoy working with the most and that you're trying to thrive with? Totally. Honestly, Queen Creek, Arizona. Certain because right group? now, no, no, not necessarily. I mean, they're, they're essentially is right. Like 18 through 60, you know, I mean, for the most part, right? Like, yeah, I would, I would but, imagine Queen Creek is a bit, it, it leans younger in demographic, right? It you does definitely younger homes, younger things. ages for sure. Right. You've got probably a lot more, you know, late twenties, low thirties than you do probably 50 and 60. Um, the thing that I realized specifically with Queen Creek and Gilbert was very similar growing up there was people moved there and it was a small town and it was getting bigger and they wanted to keep everything within, right. They wanted to shop within, they wanted to, um, purchase within, they wanted to get, you know, services from companies within, right. They didn't want to travel to Mesa or Chandler. Uh, and Queen Creek's essentially done that same thing. They don't want to travel to Gilbert. And, and so when I look at Queen Creek, actually, we are the number one lender in Queen Creek outside of the builders. There's so much new home growth that, mm. you know, we'll never be able to take that market over. But outside of the builders, we're, we're number one. And so I wanted to grow from within Queen Creek and then kind of out East Valley, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Super cool. Well, I uh, love that you did that. Now you're in your wrapping up your second year in the business, right? Yeah. Next year will be year number three. Okay. Yep. Next year will be year number three and it'll be year number one as my own broker, my own business, my own company. Oh, okay. So that departure is happening at the end of this year? Uh, as soon as our house is done, it'll probably be first of the year, I would say January, maybe February at the latest. Okay. So that's the next step the next of your step. Mm-hmm. entrepreneurial transition is... So you started off with a working underneath a brokerage that's not you Correct. Yep. and and now you're absorbing that next layer in the next phase here totally it's exciting yeah it should be it should be good I, and honestly like for me that that is kind of like the full circle like leave the big company work for a small two people shop right mm-hmm. learn as much as i can absorb as much as i can see the good and the bad and, and then create my own shop or create my own company and, yeah. and then give people the opportunity. I mean, that's kind of, I think the one thing I look forward to next year that I'm the most excited about is, is I know friends, you know, people that people that even that me and you know, right. That like used to sell, they, they've mm-hmm. got good skills, right. They've got a great skill set. Um, and I want to be able to bless them with the opportunity in this industry. That's, that's blessed me because it has been uh, entirely life-changing. You know, when I look at the trajectory that my family was on, it was a good trajectory, right? It was great. I mean, we were going to be totally fine, but this shift has allowed me to kind of shoot into the stratosphere. In all honesty, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I can see that. Like just we're on from a bigger our, rocket now. <laughs> yeah, you're just playing a bigger game, man. And it's uh, right. I yeah, it gives me energy to see you doing that. I love it, and um, excited to see you know where you're at in a year. So. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about, let's just 
pivot to talking about Tesla for a second. When I think about <laughs> Tesla, I also think about Chance. I feel like you're like the quintessential Tesla super fan. Is yeah. That a fair, uh, a fair no, totally. 100%. I mean, and, and I'm a fan, like, I'm a fan of Tesla. I have a Tesla, but I think you are like three levels, four or five levels above me in your <laughs> knowledge, passion, and also like how bullish you are on Tesla as a company. So um, I don't know, just open that file folder that says Chance's thoughts on Tesla most recently. And what, what do you have to tell me? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think the first thing is like, this will be the most valuable company in the world, right? Like it's going to happen more than, more than Amazon, more than Apple, more than Microsoft. Like Tesla will go down as the most valuable company in the world, right? And I think, I think that just stems from obviously Elon Musk, but more importantly, like it stems from a company that's all about innovation in any way, in any sphere, in any product possible. So when people think of Tesla, they think the cars, right? Like stupid fast cars, electric cars, right? Safe cars. But it's more than that. It's software, right? It's AI, it's battery technology, it's solar, right? It's battery storage. Um, and so when you look at that, right, like there's so much more to it. I, I think of like when I look at Apple, it's like, oh, the iPhone, oh, the MacBook, you know, yeah, their software is super good, but it kind of kind of stops around there. AirPods are awesome, right? But there's not, you know, not much outside of that. They're kind of just iterating on some of those big breakthroughs. They they're iterating, get a little bit better. Totally. They've got a cult following, so it's like we'll all buy the latest iteration. Totally, hundred percent. But but yeah, you're right. You don't really get the sense or the feeling of like, man, Apple. They're just just like, you know, just like hit song one after another. Like these game changing right. innovations. It's like, but you feel that way about Tesla. A hundred percent. I think like most recently, I think people are starting to come to that realization. I think I do think the stock price is the thing that at least most people they they reach out to me because they're you know they're invested in and they're they're excited when they see the gains. But I, I think that's just a, a a recent product of essentially what they've been doing behind the scenes for the last mm. you know four or five years. Yeah, yeah. Well, since uh, the first Model S came out in 2012, right? Mm -hmm. So they were. Yeah. I mean, there was Tesla Roadster and stuff before that, but Model S 2012. Totally. One of the things that's fascinating to me, and you know, I haven't discussed this thought super recently, so we'll see how it's aged. But like I used to say, if you think about the 2012 Model S and the value proposition of that car compared to the best thing available today from a competing car manufacturer. Yeah. In terms of range, speed luxury, all the things, the, and the, like the autopilot mm -hmm. in the 2012, like, I don't know, within the last year, there's been a lot of changes. Totally. So I, I used to be like very dogmatic about that. I'd be like the 2012 still per dollar is <laughs> way ahead of anyone else 10 years, you know, or, or, you know, at the time of like eight or nine years later. Yeah. Is that, st is that still the case? I mean, range wise, <laughs> pretty much there's so you know, range there's wise. Yeah. There. There's Maki, -E and you know Audi's got one. There's a couple that have you know greater range than the 2012 Model S did. Um, Speed-wise, eh, 2012 pretty much beats most 
other companies mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. speed wise. Autopilot didn't come out till till about 2015. Um, the like 2.0. Yeah, essentially that hardware one and then two and then three and now working towards four. But yeah, I mean it, the 20. I would say the 2015 Tesla has better autopilot than just about everything else today. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the other thing is like the charging infrastructure. Yeah. People just don't realize like you got to have it, got to have tons of them and no one else has tons of them. When you think of Tesla, right. And you think of driving to California, right. Or even, I mean, you're on the East coast, you've got a way better experience than I do. Yeah. How's that been charging infrastructure wise? Like have you had range anxiety being over there? No, not at all. I mean, it's, it's great. There's, there's more superchargers close to me here than I, there were when I lived in Gilbert, Arizona, for sure. <laughs> you know, just cause Gilbert, they, they, totally. they need, I mean, they need to build one in East Valley. They still don't have it right yeah. now. Scottsdale. Still don't have anything. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where people, um, you know, they don't even notice the charging stations. They don't know anything about how many there are until it's relevant for them to know. And so the first time right. you show somebody, you know, hey, here's, you can actually drive coast to coast. It's amazing to me how many people still didn't know that, you know, like, totally. especially if you move out here, you know, like you live in <laughs> Queen Creek, Gilbert, it's, you know, like just a young, like there's a lot of Tesla's Hubbard, cruising around. New, yeah, you just feel like people yeah. kind of go and like not trying to throw shade at North Carolina out here, but like <laughs> it's just different. I don't live in like a big market. I'm not in a Raleigh or a Charlotte. We're in Greensboro, yeah. which is a you know a bit of a smaller market, and um, it's like almost inconvenient how much attention my Model Three gets out here. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, like seriously, what, like what's your typical interaction with somebody there that's never seen a Tesla? I mean, it's like, it's like if you drive into a neighborhood, man, it's like, you might as well be driving an orange Lambo. Like it's just people like kids freaking out. It's always the kids. Yeah. That and, um, but it's just funny. Cause I had the car for, I don't know, two years in Arizona. It's like, there's a little bit of that. You know, people are like, Oh, cool. You know, cool car. Right. But nothing close to out here like it's funny like i have people See, so like, like come that? out from the bank the, like the, the owner of the bank she comes out the other day and like interrupted my phone call she's like can we talk about oh, wow. this and and just because you just don't see that many of them so it's just anyway that was just like a that caught me off guard yeah i mean i think that right there right that to me is why they will be the most valuable company in the world mm. it's like the iphone moment but Mm. on a way yeah. bigger scale and way more obviously valuable. You know, an iPhone costs quite a bit less than a Tesla. Yeah. And so there is, you know, some, some difference there, but that to me, like that's, that's the cool thing. And I, I think there's secondary things like, Hey, it's good for the environment. Hey, you know, it's better for our future. Right. It's safer, you know, things like that. But like well, that what's experience. So, of what's like, so cool right? to me is that like, rather than leading with the philosophical why, of like, hey, let's, you know, let's get everybody in a Nissan Leaf because the environment. It's like they led with electric car means better car. It's a better car. Like it totally. does being a car better. And then, you know, it's the means for, you know, Elon in this case, accomplishing his big philosophical why. But I just love that as an example of like, you know, like oh, give, totally. give people what they really want in a way that aligns with your bigger macro vision, mm-hmm. 
rather than totally. trying to push your vision on people 100%. in a way that they don't want. The market's just not going to take it. 100%. I, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you can look at even from a government standpoint, right? They're talking about mandating, you know, electric cars by 2035, right? Or, you know, you're not allowed to buy a gas car in the future at some point. I, I don't think that's the right way to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain ways to to sell people on things, right? And there's other ways to force people. And I don't, I don't think we uh, live in a country that is okay with the force route, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think if we're going to get people to truly go electric, it's got to be butts and seats. You put yeah. them in a Tesla, right? You get them in a car and you, you show them what it's about. And then, then they make the choice and they kind of go from there. Yeah. Now that is, that is interesting. The polar opposite approach to getting people to do a new behavior. You know, make a car that's so compelling. They're like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get this. This I got to right. drive one of these or tax it, ban it, force it. You know, it's like, man, <laughs> create great things that make people want it. Like that's such a, that's the energy, you know, like we just need more of that. Totally, we, need more of that. we need more people that build things and, and uh, create services rather than push. So that's awesome, man. Okay. Well, yeah, you've, I mean, you've made me some money recently because <laughs> you're so optimistic and bullish about Tesla that, um, you know, I've becoming more so myself. And, uh, yeah, even like this last, it's like, if you think like, Oh man, I'm getting up at the, I'm, I'm getting in really high, you know, it's gotta have a pullback and it just won't quit. It will it not doesn't. quit. It won't. It's, it's actually become very <laughs> distracting. I had to make some yep. rules for myself this week to stay out of, uh, to stay out of Coinbase and Robinhood because it's just too fun. You yeah. know, we're both interested in crypto and totally. trading. It's just too fun. You could spend your entire day just in the dopamine rush of researching and looking and buying and trading. And Right. I, today alone, I think, was actually a record day, you know, profit-wise from stocks. And and so, thankfully, it's past one o'clock here. The market's closed. I, you know, I can get back to work and kind of focus. But yeah, I'll be honest. You know, there's, there's definitely more time spent today and in the last week, you know, paying attention to Robin Hood and watching Tesla run. Than, yeah. than there has been probably, you know, you know, than I should, I, but I, but I will say like, I've used that now as like my new, like, instead of me watching, you know, sports highlights or mm. checking Facebook, you know, and, and things like that. It's like, let me check Robin Hood and see how the stock's going. I, I think finding ways to kind of escape a little bit from work in the sense of like, just give you a little bit, you know, outside mm. of kind of your, your tunnel vision focus it is a good, healthy balance for sure. That's a, that's a cool point to make, you know, yeah. It's like, what are those activities that you currently do to recover and to just kind of totally. let your curiosity guide consider swapping them out for even healthier versions, you know, like replacing Robin hood with ESPN. That's, that's a cool, that's really cool, man. Yeah. So you're, yeah, I mean, there's to, probably a better replacement from Robin hood, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Sure, sure. It's not the most healthy, but, but yeah, I think the principle of it is like, you know, you just find ways to get better right? find ways to be a little more innovative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't even looked at all today at anything except I saw your text. So I think Tesla was up today. But, you hit uh, 1200, which is crazy. Wow. So yeah. So our next thing we're going to do is you're going to uh, give me some, some coaching on these options because you're, you're reckoning it with options. Yeah. Options is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a dangerous game, but at the same time, I, I think built within the confines of, a properly structured way, I think, I think it's definitely doable for most people. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Um, okay. So 
Yeah, it's like what to, it's like what to ask Chance Howard. You know, I just like asking you any kind of question. I always want to know what's what's on your mind. Um, so, wow, man, what questions do you have for me? Do you have anything that's on your mind that you want to pivot to? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know one of the things that that I love, other than just the friendship, but you know, one of the things I love getting from you right, is just the content that you put out there it's positive content, right? It's life building. It's life coaching content. It's things that makes me a better person, makes me a better husband. I mean, I, I remember, I don't know if you remember it, but you put something out there, I don't know, maybe it was a year or two ago where I think you were taking a trip and you were feeling guilty about being away from the family. And what you kind of were telling yourself was like, every moment I spend away from my wife and kids needs to be spent for the betterment of them, right? Like I'm not on this trip, this work trip, you know, to have a great time. I was like, yeah, you're going to have a good time. Right. But like the focus, the why, right. was like your family. And I remember seeing that and I work stupid hours. I spend way too much time away from my family, you know, just work and trying to provide for them. And thankfully I'm blessed with an amazing wife and, and kids that are so supportive of it. And they know that's the intention. But I remember you saying something like that. And it just, it stung me that like, holy cow, like I'm sitting in my office at seven, eight o'clock at night and yeah, I'm working, but I'm checking Instagram. Like, yeah, I could like, that's a waste of time. That's a waste of my family's time, you know? And then that hit me like a train. So things like that for you. I mean, you put out nuggets of, you know, of knowledge that I think when I look at like my sphere of influencers, I'm like, you're just about at the top for like the positive life changing, you know, the good stuff, right. That I want to see. Well, it's kind of you to say, and, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That particular thought really is a potent one for me. It's the affirmation is that I will not waste my family's time today. Right. So that's the liner that, you know, at some point occurred to me because, you know, we're trying to change our own behavior. Like that's the name of the game with like development or getting things done being more productive, eliminating distraction. It's all centered around we behave a certain way and we're watching ourselves behave and we want to behave differently. You know, that's the nature of like getting better at anything. It's like, huh, I keep doing this thing. I don't want to do that thing. Or I keep doing this thing at this level. I want to do it at this level. So sometimes it's just the words, you know, like rather than using the words work harder today on this business trip, like work harder today, you know, using words that have emotional impact does more to change the behavior. It's like the words, I'm not going to waste Lainey's time today. You know, like my daughter, like that hits differently and gets me to do more than just, Hey, Alex work harder. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you resonated with that. I think there's versions of that, um, that it's useful for people to consider like, you know, there's ways to get yourself to do things if you can wrap them in uh, language that sparks like an emotional connection to something way, way deeper, you know? Totally. Yeah. Not wasting your kid's time is a pretty deep, like emotional connection yeah. to get you to put your phone down and work on something that moves the needle for them. You know what I mean? Right. So no, I, I think, I think that's it, man. Like just the thought process behind it. I, I think a lot of us sometimes we get stuck in stuck in the day to day, right? Stuck in the motion of it, and, and it's those thoughts of like, this is moving the needle, right, for my family. Like, mm-hmm. 
if it's not, we've got to have an evaluation, right? We got to figure something out here. Yeah. Yeah. Moving the needle, man. I was, ju- I just got off of a call with, uh, with the mastermind group that I'm, that I started this year. And we were talking about how focus it's like the currency with which we buy anything we want in our life. It, it, he, whoever, fo- like whoever focuses the most wins right now in this game. I, I feel like yeah. that because the default is distraction. Like de- distraction totally. is the default. Just like entropy is like the default, right? In the universe. I mean, everything is moving towards entropy. It's like, it's, you know, a law. So you have to resist it. It's that is true of distraction. I mean, I'm sure we are the most distracted people to ever live, right? How could anyone have been more distracted than we are? I can't imagine it. I mean, we have so many intriguing, interesting options of things to look at and think about. It's a wonder we get anything done. (laughs) Seriously. So true. No, it really is. I mean, our, you know, talk a couple generations ago. I mean, you could talk about just one ago, but a couple generations ago, I was like, you know, Dude, you're in a factory somewhere. You can't even hear to talk to your neighbor, like, or you're out on a farm, like, you talk uh-huh. to your horse, you know, like, you, yeah, you know, but like, we can all be isolated in our own office, but we're just hyper connected. Like, I'm talking to you. I could just, and so, yeah, focus, man. I'm I, fascinated you know, I by the subject. Totally. I, I think connection, though, to me is something that's so, like, I, I can't even understand it on like a micro level, but like, like the amount of connectivity that we have today to like social media, TV, sports, right? Various things, but like also to people, right? Like there has never been mm-hmm. a generation of people that have the ability to connect with one another in a way that we do. Yeah. I mean, we can be not even close 2000 miles apart on a zoom call, right. Mm-hmm. And can get, you know, more connection done than, you know, somebody could write if I was sitting at the desk with them, you know, just depending on the focus level. Another question that I was just thinking of that I want to ask you, you're a reader. I'm not like never been a reader. Really? I feel like, no, I just never, I've never been like, it's not in my DNA. <laughs> like I'll listen, audiobooks, you know, those types of things, but I can't get myself to like look at a book and be excited. Hmm. But the knowledge aspect of it, I know it's there. So my question for you is off the top of your head. I mean, is there, is there a list in like Alex Martinson's top five books that changed his life? For sure. Like a quick list there. Yeah. I mean, it's helpful if you give me a little bit of a, like, what is someone wanting to get? Because, you know, I could tell someone about essentialism is one of the books that's changed my life the most markedly. Like I remember my life before essentialism and after, um, and if the person I'm talking to doesn't experience like frequent overwhelm of not knowing what moves the needle, tons of distractions, excess, you know, then they may not love it. So yeah. it helps to know like what's someone after, because I know a thing or two about you. I think you would love essentialism, the disciplined pursuit of less by Greg McEwen. I mean, it's like, like I have multiple copies and. Like they've all been like written all over and are missing the cover and um, yeah, powerful. So 
And if you're asking just like generally, um, outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill very often makes it into my, you know, answer the question, what's your favorite book? Alex, I'll say outwitting the devil by Napoleon Hill. That book is like a sleeper. Like people don't know about this book and it, the audible is incredible. Um, I've, you know, read it with my wife. I want my kids to read it quick little, you know, plug for this book. Okay. So you've got Napoleon Hill who wrote think and grow rich, which is, you know, next to the Bible, the most sold (laughs) copy of anything around development at all ever, you know, it's like the goat. Um, and you know, he grew up during the era of Carnegie and Ford and, you know, the, they say the men that built America, you know, these Titans of industry, he, um, he, he, you know, learned from them what the fundamentals were at play in their massive success. And he was like the one to first really harmonize all of that into a text and sell it. And it was like incredible. And that book has not gotten old at all. Like it's think and grow rich is just incredible, incredible reading to this day. But he later wrote what's now known as outwitting the devil, which is his conversation with the devil. And it's set up as like, he never explicitly says like, this is a hypothetical conversation, but he doesn't ever say like, Hey, I had a vision and this happened. He just tells the story of the interview. So it kind of leaves it up to like, you know, Hey, just, you know, just read it and think what you want. (laughs) Um, But the things they talk about, so he gets the devil to confess how is it that you do what you do and how do you, you know, persuade the minds of men to do what you do. And the devil says that he has eight out of 10, eight out of 10 earthbound, you know, humans are under his power and he doesn't entice them to do evil things. He just gets them to drift. Hmm. And he talks about, uh, he gets them to uh, adopt the habit of drifting, which is essentially to lose your your own thinking for yourself and to lose your own intention. And you get caught up in, if you just think of a, a leaf in a river is drifting. It's just the currents push right. the leaf. And the, the thing that the devil fears the most is a man or woman that thinks for themselves and he goes like deep into what that means, but it's, um, but it's, it's crazy. And some of the things in there that he says are controversial now were super controversial at the time that he wrote this Mm -hmm. in the early 1900s. And so in the book, the devil tells him the main character, you know, um, like he's the own, his own character in the book. He tells him, don't publish this it will like harm your family. Like, like you don't want to tell the world what I just told you. And then in real life, he doesn't publish it. And he tells his kids don't publish this. It stays on like the family archives. Holy cow. And goes unpublished. And Uh then recently, and you can fact check me. I want to say it was like 2008, nine, 10, 11, 12, right in there, somewhere in there. Um, his foundation like got a hold of it. And they're like, "Hey, the time is now." So they, it's like a newer book, Holy but cow. was written From something that know, was written back in the. Ago. I don't know if you wrote in the '30s or something like that. Yeah, wow. And so the things he talks about in there, it's it's amazing how ahead of its time it was. You know, like 
he asks the devil like the list of things that are his most potent tools for getting people to drift. And he lists smoking as one of the top ones. And this is a time where it was not mainstream in the least that smoking was bad for you. Holy you know, way ahead of his time. But he talked about, he's like, oh yeah. He's like, I will grip millions upon millions around the globe. This is one of my favorite things. And he just like went deep on, on that. He talks about school. He's really critical of schools and the, the, the way that school is taught and kids are just taught to pass the test and things like that. So anyway, yeah. amazing book, um, game-changing book. So yeah, I have a number. Stillness of the stillness is the key is the the best read of twenty uh, of twenty nineteen. I gave that book. I probably I don't know if I've ever bought more people a copy of a book than I have. Stillness is the key by Ryan Holiday. Just incredible book. Psycho Cybernetics is in my top five. I'd say for sure. I've Max heard that Reynolds. one. Super good. Yeah, he's like the grandfather of um, self. Uh, you know, subconscious design, like how to redesign your own subconscious self of identity, you know, subconscious, uh, sense of identity, self image is the word I'm looking for. So he was like the first one to really, uh, talk about self image in a way that was like really applicable for people to take. So yeah, we could talk about reading for a long time. A couple <laughs> thoughts I have about it since you opened the can yeah. of worms is so Naval Ravikant is one of my favorite thinkers that I've discovered in the last year. Um, did I ever send you his interview with Joe Rogan? Oh, oh no, that sounds super good oh, though. Total brain candy. Like you will yeah. be glad I told you that. I can guarantee you I'll send you it. Like it's total brain candy. You'll be amazed. But um, Naval Ravikant, you know, he's an Indian American guy, came over here when he was a little, little kid, raised by a single mom. And the library was his daycare. So she would take him to school. And then when he got off school, he would walk from the school bus stop to the library and he would hang out there because she couldn't afford daycare. So he just, like Matilda, you know, like, like Matilda was uh -huh. like living in the library, like that. He would yeah. just read, read, read. So the guy just became, from a very young age, just extremely well-read. And he ended up uh, being an early investor in a lot of the unicorn tech companies. Like he's just really good at seeing trends um, was early in like Uber and Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. So he's become extremely successful, very wealthy, but he's this really unique and rare combination of intellectual, shrewd capitalist, hardcore market guy, and like really blissfully happy and content and detached from everything and just loves his life and wow. could lose everything and get it back kind of figure. Yeah. And the combination of being like really extreme, like extremely developed in both of those areas in one human is not very common at all. And so, totally. and he's very verbal. His ability to articulate thoughts is just world-class. And so it makes for an incredible interview. Listen, um, we could have a whole conversation about Naval, but one of the things <laughs> Naval says that I appreciate a lot and that you might appreciate is uh, he says, read what you love until you love to read. And so he says, one of the things that people do is they're like, okay, I'm going to start reading more. I'm going to read, you know, this book that so-and-so recommended and they dive into it and they find it difficult to read, not because they're dumb, but because they haven't built up the muscle to focus totally. on a page for a long period of time. They've just been used to consuming content through other mediums. Right? right. And so I just thought that was like a really insightful thing. He's like, read whatever you want. It might be like junk food reading, but read lots of it until you love to read. And so that actually changed the way I parent because my son crew reads these books and now he's reading a lot better quality stuff, but he was reading these books like, like Captain Underpants 
And like, uh, there's this other one that's like kind of a similar one. And I'm like, dude, this is so garbage. It just makes him, I feel like it makes him hyper and like immature and stuff, but he'll read them cover to cover. And I was discouraging him, like read something better until I heard Naval. And I'm like, no, read those, read those a lot because he'll develop the habit of reading and the love for reading. And then you can increase the nutrition, uh, aspect of it. But I thought that was a that's awesome. a cool little insight. No, cool. He also says that he also says that you know, finishing books is overrated, and books as a vanity metric is going to you know it's it's very it's kind of like I'll say it's tacky even though we all do it like I all I do it for sure you know we like to tell someone we finished a book yeah it's like you know I have a bookshelf behind me it's like hey look at look at my books so I'm I'm saying that about it and saying hey I totally still kind of uh, fall into that. But what he says is the, the new metric, the new status is how many times you've read a book. Um, that's way more interesting. He's like, I'd rather read the hundred best books over and over than try to read all the books. Right. And, um, and I appreciate that idea too. And I also like, you know, he, he's helped me change my relationship with books. It's, it's, I've had this for a while, but I never really like owned it and doubled down on it until I felt like Naval endorsed it and it kind of helped me realize like, oh, this is okay. And what that is, is that I would often read through the table of contents and find a chapter that I wanted and start there, like in the middle of the book, flip back and forth. Yeah. And just kind of eat it like you're eating a buffet, not like it had to be this page one to page 300 thing, or you did something wrong or you were a quitter. He's like, if a book is not interesting to you and it's not appealing to, you know, you're satisfying your intellectual curiosity or getting you closer to the thing you want to know. He's like, put it down and walk away. Like don't have this ethic about let's like when we were kids and mom's like, finish your plate, like clean your plate. Like that's spilled over into reading. I don't believe that. Like you don't have to finish the book. Like I only have so much time. I I only want to read the things that are the most, you know, insightful and, and help me get to where I want to go and just put it down if it's not, or skip the chapter or move the page. So just kind of reframing what reading even means is, Dude, quick, uh, quick blurb on that, man. Education. That's it right there. Like my viewpoint on education, college education, post high school education is that to a T get as much as you need and then gone. Oh, you're saying, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying now. You're saying the, Yeah. yeah, the model of go in for the like the dense content, go in for the thing you want to learn and get out. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, I remember, I mean, I think even, you know, I think our generation, I'm 28. I know you're, you're pretty close right around there. Like our generation, most, there we go. See, so most people like finish school, right? Get all four years, right? Get the degree. I even think some of the younger still is kind of in that. Mm -hmm. But when I look at like my kids are five and two, like, they're not going to school for four years unless they need to, you know, unless there's some specific degree, right. That like they have yeah. to obtain. No, and I, I hope, I hope we change that as a society. Cause I, I mean, I look at kids now that are you know, 18 through 22, right. And they're doing the four years of school just to do the four years. And they're coming out with a communications degree and 40 grand in debt, making 15 an hour. Like, like that yeah. formula, I, that's not going to work. It's not yeah. working. No, I'm glad. And I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, I, I like this conversation a lot because there's been such an evolution just in our 
just from our parents' generation to ours, but then even in the last 10 years, like totally, I feel like 10 years ago when I was talking about like, you know, my perspective on the university system, um, it was mainly seen as being my rationalization for not finishing it, which was in part the case. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I remember having the same thought and thinking, no, I'm yeah. not, I'm not following, I'm not following Mark down this path. Like I'm getting my oh, degree. Really? Yeah, no, totally dude. That's interesting. And I look, I look today, no degree, 12 credits left, mm. no degree. It's not happening. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm if someone not was stepping like, foot again. And if someone was like, well, chance you're so close, just go finish it. What do you say to that? Honestly, like my thought point now is like, why, what's like, what is the, like, what is the value proposition? Now, the one thing I will say is, could there be some value in me finishing it? So that way I can tell my kids, Hey, listen, I saw this thing through. Yeah. There might be something in that. But when I look at the cost today or the opportunity cost for it, no, not happening. You're going to have a lot of other things you can point to. Totally. I can teach that principle a couple of times. I started this and I finished it. So, so Yeah. So I started out thinking, okay, you know, maybe 50% or more of my attitude toward college could be very much based in my experience. My experience right. was, I don't see the end from the beginning here. I'm trying to begin with the end in mind, but I don't see the end. I don't see where it's going to get me because I want to go work for myself. And I come from totally. a family that's very entrepreneurial. So, so there's that. And so anytime I would talk about that, um, because it can hurt feelings and it can be mm-hmm. kind of a charged issue. Totally. And so I started to kind of think, okay, maybe it's just more, more of a private thing, kind of keep that to myself. But I've, I've evolved in this, in my understanding here. So okay, I'm telling you where it's gone to now. So now it's not that I have a disdain for the university system. It's not that I think people who are on that path or want to go that path are dumb or misinformed. Um, some of them are, but but most of them, you know, I'm not saying that that is like a default. Right. I'm saying I am just very pro education and pro study, and that I'm pro the idea that universities do not corner the market on acquiring oh. knowledge, like just breaking up that right. archaic idea. Cause that got cemented totally. in for a couple generations that they were like right. the same thing, even though it's so clear now we are in the information age, it's still not completely separated. I mean, we still kind of oh. have a little bit of that and in certain cultures. It's very cultural. depends on what totally. part of the country you're from. depends what kind of, what kind of kind of family you're from, but it's still, there is a status symbol element that drives a lot of people's behavior to go through college. And you know, there's a lot of people that go go to college because they don't know what they want to do. And in the midst of going, they figure it out. They meet the people. It it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's great. Totally. So I, I'm not anti-college as much as I'm pro become a student of the game, like love to learn, like learning is the game. I, I actually believe that you could probably boil down the whole purpose of existence, um, in my opinion, is, is about increasing along a spectrum of intelligence. Like I think we're just here to acquire greater intelligence. Right. And so any any wholesome effective means of acquiring that intelligence, like I'm all for it. I just think, you know, perhaps for the majority of people that go to school, um, formal education today, they are 
they would be better served by a more lean, mean method. Right. Totally. hundred percent. And the professionals out there until we figure something else out, the, the credential is the key. They have to be credentialed. So that's something to understand too, right? The university system is largely about credentialing, not educating today. It's a credential game. And so if you're not there for a specific credential, I think that's where you ought to really ask yourself, like, am I here? Okay. I don't need a specific credential to practice medicine. I'm here to do, I want to do something else. It's just worthy of the question. Is this the best place to deploy my investment of time and money to learn? That's the question. Because coaching and courses and masterminds today are like, this is the new... That's the new way of doing it. It's the new way. Yeah. Self-education is the new formal education. And I think my favorite word uh, in this subject is autodidact. Autodidact is a fancy word that means, you know, a self-educated person. And it's like, you know, I think more people could, uh, would be well served by identifying as a homeschooler. You know, like I'm a homeschool. I'm homes. I'm I'm in homeschool right now. You know. Yeah. Just meaning like I'm in school. Um. You know, I don't work every day, but I I learn every day. You know. Totally. And, um, so. Yeah. Another fascinating topic to think about. Yeah, people say like, ah, oh, my kids got to go to college, and it's kind of like a like a saying. You know, oh, tuck away yeah. school for my kids' college. And, right. But I'm, I'm with you. I'm like every time I hear that, I'm like just the chances that my kids go to a four-year university. And I'm saying even without dad's like, I mean, I'm not promoting it. um, But even if I didn't say anything, I'm just saying, I don't think it's going to be the thing it is now. Like it's not sustainable. It it, it has to be disrupted. It has to be disrupted. I I hope it does. Honestly, I really do. I mean, I, when I look at, and this might be a little more rant towards like America and kind of the path where we're going and things like that. But, well, oh, you when can I just look hit, at, hit anything you need to hit. <laughs> I mean, when I when I look at like the kids today, right? Like what they're getting themselves into, the path that they're going on, the path they're being pushed on, and then the reality of what life looks like on the other side of it, it, it doesn't match up. That's not the same path, you yeah. know. And I, I just think right. I think we're doing a disservice, honestly. And yeah, it worries me a little bit. You know, I I look at. My kids are still so young, but it something that worries me. You right. know, it's like where where are we heading? Like what's the, well, the, the role the direction here? So the role that conditioning plays in our behavior and in our identity is you can't overstate it. I mean, we are right. like we're being conditioned all the time. So when I say conditioning, I'm not just meaning like early childhood conditioning, the home we came from determines our future. I'm saying Totally. I'm being conditioned by this conversation. Anyone who listens to it's being conditioned to some degree by the conversation, right? I mean, if someone goes after this and buys some Tesla stock, they were conditioned <laughs> by hearing you. They were con- we're uh-huh. always being conditioned. And so yeah. where does the agency lie? Well, the agency lies in what do I allow to be my conditioning environment? And I, I don't want to play the game of like, I'm not going to let my environment sink in. I'll, I'll be... It's like, right. no, I'm just going to accept that I do, but I'm going to choose my environment carefully or you know, try to be in control. Okay, so I want, I want to get your take on this, man. Mask. Mask mandate. Mm. Okay, I, I remember I remember vividly the little post you made when you kind of said, "Hey, I'm kind of coming to grips with it and I'm going to I'm going to be okay with it. I'm done being angry." Yeah. 
This is a walk really me, interesting. Walk me one. through that. Yeah. So I thought about like I I've had several people ask me this. So I thought about putting out like a podcast episode on explaining. And to be totally honest with you, I feel like people don't understand what I'm saying. And I'm not, it's, I'll, I'll put the blame on me. Like, I'm not saying people don't, I'm saying the way it is in my head, when I say it to people, I, I don't think they get what I'm saying. So I'll attempt it though. Um, and, and I'll start by saying like, dude, what a, just what a path I've been on mentally, yeah. emotionally, and spiritually through the whole pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's an honesty factor in, you know, anytime we can turn ourselves in and say, Hey, I was too rigid on this, or I changed my view here. Like, so I operate through a a paradigm that definiteness of purpose that that's a line from outwitting the devil you know mm-hmm. definite of purpose is what keeps us out of the drift it's what keeps us out of being uh caught in the current of fear uh that is the energy through which satan you know the devil has his way with the world and so that's like an, an ethic and it's deeply tied to like religious principles too the idea of acting and not being acted upon right and liberty and freedom and so you have all these really significant values that feel like they are being attacked by something like a mandate to wear a mask. And so it's a fascinating experiment of what's going on here, right? Because there's so many options of how I can respond. And so I've learned a lot about myself through this. And I think that this is one way that we can ensure this experience isn't wasted. Um, This experience being like COVID life, it's not wasted if we observe the way, you know, the things we're learning about ourselves through the experience. And we record those thoughts, you know? So one of the things I've learned through the experience is that it is never about the thing. Okay. In terms of the level of peace in my mind, the peace of mind or lack thereof is not determined by the thing in the external world. And I think that the mask situation, one of the ways that it's been a blessing to me is that it's taken a concept that I already believed and even taught that, oh, it's not about the thing. It's about who I am being in response to the thing. It's like, okay, I believe that, but it got it to go deep inside me. It's like the difference between like putting a concept on the fridge and getting it and like taking it in through an IV and it becomes you like that. I believe that to the core now because... I would go pick up my kids at school and I would feel pain, right? I would feel actual pain. My blood pressure goes up. I'm annoyed. All the teachers that are just double masked out there outside, I don't <laughs> like them. I'm thinking bad things about them. Yeah. I'm looking for like any opportunity I can to just be like kind of snarky and just like, you know. And it, what's crazy about this, and this is where I think, this is why this is such an uncom- uncomfortable conversation people have. It's so easy to justify that frustration and that that irritation because it's like, yeah. well, freedom, man. Like, don't tread on me. Like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm frustrated because it's like a holy cause. 
And so I'm, I'm giving respect to that. It, like, yes, I hear you. I get it. I, I'm with you there. I understand. But there is a point, and I got to this point, where I realized I can be one of two people. I can be sitting in my car picking up my kids, and I can be upset and have some baseline of frustration. Okay. And then you can go to the lie part here. We're like, well, I'm not really upset. I'm just annoyed. You know, I'm right. It's like, (laughs) just check yourself. You might actually be upset. And there's another version where I show up and I'm not upset and I'm not in pain and I don't have frustration or irritability or, or anger toward anyone. And so the question is, who would I rather be? Right. And which version of me is actually better for everyone else that's around me? And then you have the issue of, well, what if it's something I don't believe in? You know, okay. Of course, the line. again, Again, for me, it's like, I have limited resources. I have limited bandwidth. Okay. I simply cannot charge the hill on every issue. Yeah. And I think... The place we want to get to is where we care enough about the limitations of our resources and the the very finite nature of our of our life, you know, we're going to die. I think we get to a place where we're so aware of that that we begin to make radical decisions about where we input our energy. And so I just got to a place where I said I am no longer interested in investing energy in this particular area. That's it. And this is where I lose people and it's okay. Mm -hmm. But they're like, but, but, but it's like, bro, I'm not mad at you for wanting to fight the fight. I'm not mad at you for wanting to post all the things. I'll like your post. I'm, I'm just telling you that I realized that I am literally in control of my own world because I live in here. And it's like, if you were slapping yourself all day long and then you realize like, oh, this is weird. I'm slapping my own, I'm causing my own pain and suffering. Totally. I can still disagree. Do I think kids should wear masks to school? I do not. Right. Why? I'm not convinced it helps. Why else? I'm not convinced it's a net positive. I think there are more negatives than positives. I can give you reasons, but I am placing as an even higher priority my own peace of mind because I'm better for my kids. I'm better for everyone around me when I am in a place of peace. Yeah. I'm not going to go violate any, any moral principles. I'm not going to go, you know, change my opinion that masks work now. I'm just choosing to be a different person. Totally. Because it's my choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I remember when you posted it and, and my thought was like, it's not the mask. Like it's not, it's not the circumstance. It's like who Alex was being mm-hmm. and how he was acting, right? And how he was feeling as a result of said circumstance. So I remember when you posted it, like it was powerful because mm. I, I didn't have the same struggle when it comes to masks and things like that. I mean, I we all have had our thoughts on around on yeah. it and stuff, but for me, it was the principle. Like I knew you had crossed like that barrier of like. I found the peace. I found the happiness. I'm back to, you know, me. Right. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't my hill to die on. Yes. And I'm not saying that's not the right hill. Right. And everyone has their own, their own hills and stuff. But for me, it was that journey that like, I could see it, you know, I could mm-hmm. see it progressing through Instagram stories. And it was like, mm-hmm. 
I just remember seeing that and I was stoked, you mm, know, yeah. because we all, we all have those hills, you know, yeah, we yeah, figure yeah. it out. No, I appreciate that. And I think it's cool for you to ask because, you know, we live in a world today because of the way that we communicate and influence each other. There's like this underlying feeling that if I have a strong opinion, that part of me also believes you should have it too. And that's true right. in some regard, but it's not true in this case, right? Like, for example, masks at church, that's another just phenomenal topic, right? So interesting, right? And we're members of the same church. And so there's just a lot going on there. But like, because I choose to, for the most part, wear a mask at church, right? Like when it's like in church meeting, in sacred yeah. meeting, um, I don't draw a connection to like, so someone that doesn't, I'm not their enemy. They're not right. on an opposite side from me. Totally. It's not about that. I'm not pushing that belief. I'm just saying I have a reason for choosing to do it. That doesn't mean that I'm against you not doing it, but, but people don't, you know, don't draw that. they don't draw that conclusion. So it's like, they think I disagree. I'm like, no, um, I just believe that people should be really happy. Yeah. Like, happiness and peace of mind is one of the best things you can do for anyone in your life is to, to figure out your own peace of mind. Cause you're way better to be around when you've got peace of mind. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting is like, you can enact the most change in the world, right? If you find the change within yourself, like that's the, like, to me, that's the thing of like, if you want to be, if you want to make the world the best place, like you got to be your best self because like your neighbor, like they might make the world a better place, but if you're not in a good place, like you're not helping it, you know, or vice versa. Right. Like if you're in a good place, like yeah, you're making the world better, but like your neighbor's not in a good place. So he's not, you know, and I think it all comes down to like individual. Yeah. Well, individual and you can, things. you're right. You're right, man. And you can move the needle and I can move the needle the most on who we're being. I have way more totally. control over that than I do the policy changing at the local elementary school. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, so anyway, yeah. So at the end of the day, um, if anyone was listening, trying to understand where does Alex stand on this? <laughs> I am a freedom guy. I don't like right. mandates. Um, I like to think through things and, and, you know, try to have my own reason, you know, rational reason for why I do what I do. We could talk about masks being, you know, a dumb idea for days and for days and for days. And, uh, yeah, the very short summary is, I think, yeah, way too many masks on way too many people. Like, I think we've, we've long ago left the realm of science, which science is not conclusive by nature. Science is just theories. We're trying yeah. to figure it out. So you give people some grace, man. People are trying to be conscious and put masks on to protect people. Like I don't want to vilify people that wear masks either. You know, I did a lot of that. Right. I'm saying now we've left the realm. It's very clearly, you know, it's become much more of a social issue than a scientific issue. Totally. Um, but, but I am just a proponent of just choose what aligns for you and what will bring you peace of mind so that you can invest your energy in areas that you really want to enact change. And I think this is partly, partly why there's a lot of, there's a big segment of the population right now that's very unhappy and depressed. And I don't want to pick too much on them, but you might have some people in your life like this where they sit on the couch at night or all day and watch a particular news channel and yeah. they get filled with the passion. Totally. 
And what I've realized is it's because it gives them meaning. It's like you want to be in an army fighting a battle. It's very yeah. like ingrained in us to want to have an enemy to chase and to fight. And you want to feel that righteous indignation. You right. Know? But at the end of the day, there is a version where you step back and say, okay, I only have so many years down here and I only have so much right. energy in a given day I can deploy. Where do I want to deploy it? So this is where like, this is where I'm hopeful. And I, I don't like politics. I don't like getting into it too much, but this is where I'm hopeful. Because I think more and more people, regardless of the viewpoint, regardless of the side of the aisle you're on, regardless if you watch Fox News or CNN, like there's more and more people that are starting to come to the realization that like things have got to change. And at the end of the day, like, I, like I'm not that different from somebody that's on the other side. If we sit down and have lunch, we have a conversation like we're very similar people, you know? They view yeah. differently than I do. I shouldn't hate them for it, right? And we're being kind of propped, pinned, pushed mm -hmm. into this into this way, this viewpoint. But I'm hopeful, man. I, I'm hopeful that things will change. That like no more term limit or get some term limits on Congress. That's gonna be my quick like uh, yeah quick spiel. Like let's get you know let's get some of these older people out that have been in there for so long doing the same thing for so long and kind yeah. of make some changes. But I, I think that transition is something that like all of us have to kind of go through if we're going to really get this thing on track. Yeah. No, I think you're right, man. I think that, um, you know, rather than, rather than trying to shout about what policies ought to be changed in order to move the country, it's like, I think that it would be better. There's enough people doing that. Um, and so I don't, I don't promote political apathy and just say, yes, yeah, on the sidelines, it's all lost cause. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I, I'm more energized by the idea of getting more people to ask the question, hey, on a very, very local level, how can we strengthen the fabric of society? Because that's totally. really what this is, is government is now trying to fill the hole that used to be filled by family, community, and churches. Yep. It will never do a good job at that. Even if we get all the policies the way that we think we want them, it will never do that. So on a very micro level, which is the ultimate micro is my own home. It's like, who am I being in my home? You know, how do right. I run this little economy and this little, you know, uh, society under my roof? What kind of a leader am I? You know, yeah. like I want to be way my true self, my higher, the, 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 the better version of me is way more interested in affecting change there than he is interested in responding to a Twitter feed about what change should happen out there. Right. right. And I think if we can, and I'm not saying I'm always that way, right? Like my ego self wants to do that. But if we can try to become, imagine if everyone's energy they had about like Facebook posts and comments and Twitter and watch the news shifted to like being in the house. all in on how to make like their street, better, yeah. their house, their street, their school. I mean, that's where it's got to come from, man. It's got to go totally. micro, micro level. And then, you know, spread outward, but right. That's cool. So no, I love it. That's awesome. Well, you're a good man, Chance. Um, this has been cool. Yeah, uh, dude, it's been a blast. <laughs> yeah, very, very stimulating conversation. Um, I appreciate you. So let's uh, 
let's do this again, man. Go go uh, watch some Naval. Go 10x your production. Hey, Joe, and Joe Rogan and Naval, right? Yeah. Yeah. Joe Rogan and Naval Ravikant. And then there was a book written called The Almanac. Uh, I might have it here somewhere right here. So this is called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. It's not even written by him. It's written by someone named Eric Jorgensen who just took the four words by Tim Ferriss. He basically just took anything he could find that Naval had said in a, in a podcast interview or on Twitter and put it in book form. And um, yeah. it'll be the best thing, one of the best things you've ever read. Seriously. That's awesome. Dude, That's 10X, it. man. This, this is a 10X year. 10X is the goal? No, this, this it already is. This year's 10X over last year. Over over bank year. Over bank year. Over this, over last year, we're at. We might we might hit. Nah, we'll we'll do a two x from last year to this year for sure. I don't think we'll That's hit awesome. three. But yeah, it's it's crazy. You're playing big, man. Yeah, no, it's good. It's it's yeah. I mean, it's a category changing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Adjustment. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get some guys, dude. I want to try to recruit. Uh, I want to try to recruit a couple, a couple of buddies of ours. Dude, you should. You should just start. Um, I think we're gonna have a Florida. Create. I want to get. I want to get a Florida guy. Yeah. License in Florida. Got a California guy. I love that. Well, hey, let me. Two little quick things to contribute to you, just to say. To, you know, yeah, it occurred to me while we were talking. The, the one is to piggyback on off what you just said. Um, I'm reminded of what. Uh, Einstein said, he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And when I think about your situation and the game you're playing right now, I think about that because it's like, you could say that your only limit now is your imagination, right? It's like, you won't, you're not going to go too far past what you imagine going to at some point, you know, we're limited by that. So, so imagine both bigger and in greater detail, you know, is, is now your new challenge because as there's this phenomenon that happens is as we go to be above the average yeah, and like you're now, you know, maybe in your peer group or the people you talk to or in your industry, you're above the average. There's actually a lot of unique perils that exist there because you might just slow down because of the gravity of the average. Right. Yeah. And so you have to like continually reimagine. You don't have to, but if you realize you have the power, you might as well, you know, reimagine right. what's possible and what's exciting and just don't let that be relative to what average is or even above average, even what the achievers do, right? And this is like the very rare Elon Musks that just break away, like completely just playing his own game where we're all like, wait, 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 what the <laughs> heck are you doing? It's like he realized yeah. the way he creates his goals and his desires are not in any way connected to what is normal. You know what I mean? Oh, so true. And I think that's what Einstein was getting at with, with why imagination actually trumps knowledge. Um, so yeah, I'll just end with that. We've been talking for quite a while. So, um, but dude, appreciate you. No, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. Let's talk more. Totally. Set up our call for you. I want to see the, uh, see the content you get out of this. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll set up a call where you can uh, deep dive with me on these these options that you're trading. So <laughs> that sounds good, man. Okay, brother. Talk to you soon. Hey, we'll see you, buddy.
Bye. Bye.